What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Dr. Demiso A. Josie, and welcome to the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. This is season four, episode one. Uh, we sit down and talk about the adoption process for anyone that's interested in adoptions. Um, it's about 135,000 children that get adopted in the United States each year. About 59% of those are from the child welfare or foster care system. Another 26% are from other countries and 15% are voluntarily relinquished American babies. Um, so in this particular episode, we sit down with a mother who went through the process and she explains her story of adoption. Um, and we give you some um, helpful tips if you are interested in adopting a child. Hope you enjoy It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Stay empowered. All right, welcome to the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie, and I'm flying solo on this. Uh, big shout out to my business partner, Kareem Spence, Mr. Petty. This is going to be episode one of season four. I apologize for everyone that's out there because I've been on a little bit of a hiatus for some personal reasons, but I'm back um, in the lab again. And with everything that's going on in the world right now, I'm not going to dwell on what's happening. I just think people need to um, hear some positive stories um, that's coming from a little bit of a different lane than what's going on in the world today. Um, so um, this particular person that I'm going to be introducing uh, to you shortly, um, we actually went to school together, uh, but um, and as many of you know, I was down in Disney not too long ago, and um, I was on Facebook, and I saw her down there as well uh, with her children, and we kind of um, linked up a little bit, and I, I found out that her story is really, really interesting. Um, if you know me and you're, you're close to me, you, you know that I have some nieces and um, also some nephews who have gone through the foster care system as well as the adoption system, um, and then when this particular person gave me her story, um, I felt that people needed to hear it. And it felt like um, people hear all the negatives that happen with the, the foster care system because it's in, especially in the media now, if you watch Netflix with the um, Hernandez uh, story, um, you can always go back to Antoine Fisher, but um, the, the media has a, a tendency to, to publish some of the negative things. And um, there's a lot of great people that are doing some great things out there for people um, uh, who are less fortunate and just needs, you know, a, a place to call home and, and, and people to love. And this particular person, um, her heart is big. Um, and she has decided to embark on this journey of, uh, foster care to adoption. Um, so I would like to welcome Laura to the show. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> oh, thank you for uh, agreeing to be on. Um, so we're just going to dive right into this. Um, so obviously, um, foster care and adoption is something big to you um, at this particular moment in time. But explain to to the listeners how you decided to get on this particular journey. So this particular journey for me um, was not planned. And if I was asked, I was asked about a year before I decided to even do this, um, would I ever consider adopting a child? And my answer was blatantly no. And they asked me why. And I said, I, I could never love another child the way I love my own children mm-hmm. that I gave birth to. And that would not be fair to this child. Well, in my eyes, God said, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm-hmm. So I 
was at work, and I met this little boy who happened to be a newer resident. Um, he was pretty sick. Um, I worked at the Voorhees Pediatric Facility at the time, mm-hmm. and um, that is a long-term rehabilitation care center for children with special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I met him. He had come from CHOP. He was born 27 weeks um a severe heart condition, um, chronic lung disease. So I just met him in passing, thought he was adorable. You know, who wants to talk to an adorable little baby? Everybody does. Mm. And then I, we kept crossing each other's paths. Um, and I became more attached to him. And he had to have multiple heart surgeries on his own with um, no family present. I guess I should go back to that. Mm. Um, no family present because his his Birth parents um, were homeless and drug addicts. Mm. Um, heroin, to be exact. Mm. So he was immediately put into the foster care system when he was born. Um, so being as sick as he was, um, DCPNP could not find a home that was willing to take him. He was also on a feeding tube because he had a refusal to thrive. Mm. So he stayed in CHOP until he came to live at Voorhees Pediatric Facility, and that's how I got to know him. Mm -hmm. He went out to have these surgeries by himself, and that continued to break my heart. Mm -hmm. And actually, I prayed for signs. Mm -hmm. I really was longing to take this child home and be his mother for some reason, and I didn't understand why I was longing for that. but I was just really praying for signs. Like, give me a sign. Mm-hmm. Um, is this supposed to be my path? Am I supposed to do this? Or is this just a child that I'm connected to and should love here while I'm at work? Mm-hmm. So the birth parents came in one day, and I was very upset about that, which wasn't I wasn't supposed to be acting that way because I was an employee. Mm-hmm. Um so I just, you know, took some time to go breathe on my own. And then the next week, the bird's father came back in. And he was old, older, in his 60s. And I was holding my son. At, he wasn't my son at the time. So I was holding him. And the father walks in, and I stood up, and I swallowed real hard. And I walked over to the father, and I, I said, here you go. Here's your son. Um, and he started to cry and was grabbing for me. Mm. And um, the father said, oh, here, he wants his mom back. Oh, wow. And I said, excuse me? (laughs) He said, here, he wants you, he wants his mommy back. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) okay. And I kind of just looked up a little bit, and I just, I I walked, I knew it was not the right thing to do, so I walked over to a more little kid-friendly area, and I sat the father down, and I sat down with um, my son, who wasn't my son at the time, and I held him while he became more comfortable with the father, and then I slowly snuck back and walked away so that he could have the time with his child. Mm. So, um, long story short, he had fallen and gotten a boo-boo and started crying again, and the father walked over to me, handed it back to me, and said, he doesn't want me, he wants his mom. And he said, here, take him. So and the, he walked out. So the father was the only one that was there. The mother wasn't there at this particular point. The mother wasn't there that day, okay. yeah. Okay. But the father kept referring to me as the child's mother. 
That's crazy. So, as soon as the father left, I went right into my department head's office, and I said, what do I have to do to start the process to become the child foster parent? Mm. And she looked at me and said, are you serious? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. Mm-hmm. She goes, hold on, do you want to think about that for a minute? I said, <laughs> yes. I said, I'll come talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> I have to go talk to my family. Okay. So okay. I started the ball rolling with her. She started doing the research about what I had to do, and I went home and talked to my family. Right, I'm going to pause you right there because i got a couple questions to ask you off the bat. Sure. Um, when um, my personal story, my nephew was um, diagnosed with cancer and he was in CHOP um, in, in the pediatric um, ward. And I remember being in there and there was kids in there by themselves. Um, your yeah. personal experience, can you like just shed a little bit of uh, light on what that's like from, you know, an employee standpoint where, you know, there's kids that are in these situations and there's nobody, no family members or nobody that's coming to at least visit these children? Because I've seen plenty of them. Yeah. Well, it happens a lot more often than you would think. Um, and as people who work in that situation, you pretty much go into it giving the child all that you've got. You give them the love and attention and care while you're there, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then you go home. Mm-hmm. And you have to just hope that your coworkers are going to be the same way, but in raising my own children at home and then seeing children being raised by themselves and hospital workers in, in an institution like that, it, it goes without saying that they they thrive in a home-based setting with someone who's going to love them more. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely difficult because you want to give them everything you've got. You don't want to clock out and go home a lot of times because you know that this child needs you, and when you leave, then they're going to be in a a crib all by themselves looking at a TV all day long. Mm -hmm. Now, you from, from from an individual standpoint, I mean, you obviously had your family at home, and you worked all day, um, and has this, this attachment to this child. Like, um, a lot of people kind of leave their work in the office, but emotionally, obviously you were, you were carrying that with you, um, when you went home, like explain that process to you, uh, to, to, to people. Like, how does, how does that work? How did you deal with, with, you know, bring technically bringing your work home, knowing that you still had to, you know, be mom to, you know, your children? So, um, I was constantly talking about this child, um, and my kids were, you know, hey, mom, can we meet, can we meet him, can we, you know, I said, when the time's right, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, I kept saying, we'll see, we'll see, but, um, even at home, I would communicate with coworkers, hey, how's Phyllis been doing, hey, um, did he cut that tooth yet, um, it was like I was, I realized that I was still, I was acting as if I was his caretaker Mm -hmm. at home. Mm. Um, so it was difficult actually sometimes to be away from work, um, knowing that this child needed someone in their life to be a constant and didn't have it. Mm. And while I was at work, obviously I had a job to do and other patients to see, so I couldn't devote my whole eight hour work day to this child. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was difficult as well. Um, not easy, not easy at all. I was torn, um, very torn on leaving work at work and not taking it home with me. But then I felt that 
I just couldn't do that. There was just no way to leave it at work. And that was part of the reason why I was just so drawn to sit down and have a conversation with God. Like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Like, I, I don't know what mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do right now. I just know that I feel strongly about this. And it's hard for me to leave it at the door when I walk out every day. Right. Now, without getting into too many details, because I want to go too personal, but when you are having this discussion with your, your kids, your birth kids, like, explain that process um, as well. Um, so I basically gave them his backstory um, from birth to current, um, his parent story, and, and I just said, what do you guys think? And universally, all three of them wanted to meet him, so I brought them in to meet him, and once they met him, it was probably, I'm going to say maybe 10 minutes into them meeting him, hand down, they're like, Mom, when can we take him home? Mm -hmm. It's awesome. And I said, well, I said, I'm going to give you guys two days to think about it, and and then we'll we'll have another family meeting, and we'll talk about it, Mm -hmm. and... All of them were like, we, we don't need to think about it. I said, yes, but your lives are going to change. Because hmm. these are teenage boys at this point in time. Right. Um, I said, you, you definitely need to think about it. You definitely need to figure it out. Um, I had one high school graduate at the time. I had one who was approaching graduation and one who was, well, I think he was in middle school at the time. Hmm. So these are, these are boys who want to, you know, have fun, do their thing, and... I wanted to make sure it was okay with them that I brought this two-year-old into their life Mm -hmm. to be a a little brother to them. Mm -hmm. Um, They couldn't stop talking about him. Yeah, that's awesome. So that that was also helpful. And and not only couldn't stop talking about him, but when is he coming home? And I'm like, okay, we didn't start the process yet. You gotta wait. (laughs) But it was definitely... All hands on deck. We want to do this. Gotcha. I want to get into the process in a minute, but I want to go back to, okay, now the father is in, um, you know, he's saying, you know, he needs his mother. Um, at that particular point, what yeah. happens from there? So he handed him to me after the second time he said that, and he walked out. That, um, that was it? He just left? That was it. He just left. And... I'm just and and my all my coworkers are looking at me like he just called you that baby's mom like and my coworkers knew that I was very attached to this child mm-hmm. and I think one of them just said didn't you ask for a sign? <laughs> <laughs> there so you that's go. When I said I did and I was sitting in the rocking chair rocking him because he was still upset at that point in time on right. the bump on his head and one of them brought me the incident report because I had to write up an incident report now and. The other one said, do you want me to hold him while you go talk to talk to your supervisor? And I'm like, ah, no, I'll bring him in with me. <laughs> That's so. crazy. All right, so now it's time for the process to begin. Um, what does that entail uh, for people who might be interested in uh, adopting or even foster caring a, a child? Um, what's the process that you had to go through at this particular point? So in my situation, I went right to social work um, in our building. And they let me know what division um, this child was out of. And they gave me his caseworker's contact information. Um, And they also gave me the contact information to start the ball rolling with licensing my home. Mm -hmm. So I called the caseworker. And um, the caseworker then called the resource worker. Because the resource worker licenses your home. Um, Mm -hmm. 
within the next week, I was taking some introductory classes. So when you say licensing your home, what does that mean for the people who may not know what that means? So you as a person have to be licensed. You have to go through all the background checks and everything. And your your home is licensed as well. So you and your home are licensed together. Okay. Your home, they come into your home and they check your whole home out and make sure it's safe mm-hmm. for the child. Um, minor things like sockets, mm-hmm. the socket protectors, making sure you have child safety locks on your cabinets, making sure you don't have, don't have any weapons, your medicine is in a locked cabinet, mm-hmm. um, making sure your house is up to code, can you fit a child in your house comfortably, where is their space going to be, um, we had a pool in our backyard, so the pool had, you know, extra precautions for the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, are your fences all up to code and locked? Um, they basically just go over and make sure that you have a safe environment for the child. Right. So it's They t- also make sure that you are safe for the child. Right. So it's typical things that a normal parent would do with any newborn or any child that would come into, you know, that situation, correct? Yes. Okay. I, I call it typical. It was nothing out of the ordinary or nothing that was too much for me to do. Um, I have talked to other people who started the process and they were like, oh, they wanted me to do too much, so I'm not doing it. Hmm. To me, it wasn't too much, probably because my heart was driving to be that child's mother. (laughs) That's interesting. It's funny to me because to me, what you said, it was just typical stuff that I went through with my own kids. You know, the child locks in the pool and all that stuff. It's not like it's... They're asking you to do anything ordinary. It kind of scares me that people actually backed out and said, this is too much. Like, what are you doing for your kids? <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> your birth kids yeah. anyway. That's crazy. Exactly. So once they come out and visit and do the, the site visit, what's the next step? Uh, fingerprinting, um, your background checks. Um, you know, they, they do run you through the ringer without concern. And it's not just you. It is you, your spouse, and any adult children that you might have. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, my oldest child had to be fingerprinted and background checked. Um, at the time, it was my husband and myself were all fingerprinted and background checked. And um, as long as everything checked out, then, then they go to your medical background check and make sure you're physically sound to take care of this child. Mm-hmm. Um, all your medical records. Um, they pull all the children's records from school. They want to know how the children did in school, if you're an involved parent, um, their grades. Um, they speak to the children's counselors. Um, wow. What else? That's crazy. I guess just basic stuff like that where they're going to make sure that you check out as a parent. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, obviously I had children, so I don't know what they would do in a case <laughs> like that if someone didn't have children. They just wouldn't check that part right. of it. I think what they should do with couples that are deciding to have kids, but you know, their first child, they should go through yeah. the same scrutiny that you just went through uh, to be able to adopt somebody. Because I, I think a lot of these parents out here don't know what they're getting I themselves into. I agree with you in some, some cases. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, so you go through this entire process. Um, now we're at the point. I'm sure. I'm assuming. I'm sure that there. You know, there's a, a court process as well to to make it legal um explain that particular process so as i'm going through this whole process and i am going for a specific child there's still no guarantee that i will be able to just foster this child um 
from what I understand, and it's just, I don't haven't seen it written anywhere, but from what I understand from my, my personal case and other people's personal cases, um, it's almost frowned upon to, I guess, go pick your child is what they said to me. Um, hmm. Because I knew of this child, I knew he was a foster care and I wanted to be his mother. Hmm. I was basically picking the child. I wasn't, it wasn't luck of the draw when they drop off at your house. Um, hmm. So I was going through this whole process of licensing myself and my home and still not knowing whether I was going to be able to foster to adopt this child. Hmm. So it was kind of running blind, just doing everything that I had to do. And I would say I started this process in August of 2014, Mm -hmm. was it? 2014? Yes, August of 2014. So about November, December-ish, I got a phone call. I was driving to work, actually, and I hadn't heard anything from for a long time. And I was told, you know, that could happen. Uh, I hadn't heard anything for a long time. I knew that everything was on point with my house and myself, and we're just kind of waiting to hear from somebody. I got a call, and it was from the resource person that helped license my home, mm-hmm. and that were helping license my home. And they asked, they said that they were going to court for the child the next day and they um, they were already going to go into the adoption unit is what they had said and they said that they wanted to know what my intentions were and would I adopt the child or would I yeah would I adopt the child if that situation became available and my and I started crying like almost hysterically I could barely get a word out, and I said, in a heartbeat, tomorrow, I will adopt him. And she said, okay, that's all we need is, and she said, calm down, and she was kind of chuckling at me, and I said, I don't think you understand, I, I will do, I, yes, 100%, I will adopt this child. That's awesome. So they went to court the next day, and they presented my family as a resource family that would just in him. And... Um, the judge, I think, gave the parents a month, and I don't know why. Um, so it was like after Christmas, but before January, when I found out that I was approved. No, it wasn't. It was in January. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. So the first conversation must have been around the beginning of January, end of December, mm-hmm. when they asked me if I would adopt them. I think court was in January next day and I would say that the first second week in January they called me and said that I was approved to be that our family was approved to be his resource family Hmm. and that um, all I had to do was talk to the caseworker and figure out a time that we could discharge him from the facility that he was living at which would be the facility that I worked at Hmm. So then I hung up the phone and had another hysterical crying fit (laughs) (laughs) and had to compose myself to call social work and say, I want to take him home tomorrow. (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. So they told me to put the brakes on, obviously. I do this because I work there, but he, we would all, all members of the family would have to be trained in this care because he was G2 dependent and had some respiratory issues. So we would all have to be trained in this care before 
home. Right. That's crazy. So how's it? Yeah. How has it been since this is? You know, how many years? Um, since that process. So the date that we took him home to live in our home was March fourth, two thousand and fifteen. Hmm. Um, and since then, it. Let's see. The first night home, my youngest biological carried his mattress into. Um, now I can say his name because he's my son now. He mm. carried his mattress into Daniel's room and camped out on his floor and watched him sleep. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I have a picture of it and it was just great. And he had always wanted to be a big brother and now he was finally a big brother and he was just <laughs> going to live up to that name. That's awesome. And he did. Um, it was, it was um, a lot of crazy. I had, my youngest was 13 biological and now I have a two-year-old mm-hmm. he's not just a two-year-old but because he's lived in a facility his whole life he is just barely taking his first step he was almost two and a half mm-hmm. he's not talking yet he doesn't eat solid food yet mm-hmm. so it was a two-year-old but a very immature two-year-old that needed a lot of assistance in learning how to do things mm-hmm. that's crazy yep that's interesting. So all the listeners out there, we do our annual Christmas party um, and we donate toys and, and proceeds to CHOP. Um, so you, you kind of get in a, a firsthand um, understanding of what a lot of these children that are going through in CHOP. So, um, you know, the, the connection at this particular story and what we do at the Empowerment Perspective Group, um, you're, you're hearing it firsthand. Um, so when it's, it's time to come around to, to donate to our organization and what we do, um, especially around the holidays, um, you know, there's there's stories like this that are out there. And there's unfortunately, there are kids that are in uh, the CHOP system who don't have anyone that can come and, you know, spend time with them and support them and, and show the love that, that Laura and our family is doing. So, um, uh, if this, anything comes out of this particular podcast, you hear it firsthand, um, uh, there's great people that are out there and, and CHOP is doing some wonderful things. So please support us when we do have our Christmas party, um, and toy drive for, for CHOP. Um, and I definitely, obviously we'll get more information about that as it comes. Um, one thing I want to ask you, Laura, is we're big at the empowerment perspective about having a why, um, because we believe that if you have a why, it kind of drives your behavior and, what, and dictates what you do in terms of your life. Uh, what would you say would be the biggest reason why you decided to do what you did um, for Daniel? The only reason I have is is that I fell in love with that little boy. Mm. It was it, I fell in love with him, and I had to follow my heart where that was concerned. Hmm. That was it. That was it. I mean, <laughs> I I wish there was some big, huge story about that, but I really just I fell in love with them. No, that's 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 reason enough right there. Is uh, you know, yeah. obviously love. You know, love is conquers all. At the end yeah. of the day, is what I'm trying to say. Um, Piggybacking I, off what you said about donating. Mm-hmm. Um, my son is seven now, and he came out of the facility just shy of being two two and a half years old mm. he will still hoard all his toys when he goes to bed at night mm-hmm. he gathers anything that he can find in his arms and tries to bring it to bed with him mm. and and it's a constant reassurance and he was young when he came home but he still remembers having nothing mm. he still remembers that when he went to bed at night 
when he went back to his room and to his crib at night, he didn't have anything. Mm. So when he was in the playroom, he would try to take things with him, like maybe a stuffed animal or something. So donating and and I mean, even your time, donating your time, mm-hmm. is definitely something that these kids benefit from greatly. And like I said, five years later, I'm still trying to break that habit. Right. He thinks he's got to hoard everything he needs to to go to bed at night because he's not sure if it's if he's going to have it when he wakes up. Right, right. And it's big for me because, you know, these, these children, they didn't make the decision to, you know, be in a situation that they are in. Um, so yeah. if you can donate your time, um, you know, that's probably more important than anything else that you can donate to anybody is your time and, and ability yeah. to connect with somebody. So, you know, if this inspires anybody, just, you know, reach out to your local, you know, hospital or uh, pediatric ward and, and, and just go visit and spend some time with these children. There's some amazing people that are in there, um, not only working, but these kids are amazing. Um, and they just need to know that somebody's out there that cares and, and, and can listen um, to them. Exactly. So it's definitely awesome. Um, it's, you know, I, I get chills just listening to your story. Um, you know, we haven't talked in a while. And, and you know, just to know that the path that you're on and, and the things that you're doing is amazing. Um, you know, I'm definitely happy for you and your family. And I hope you continue to do the great work that you're doing. Um, you know, and I wish the best for you and your family um, as well. Yeah. So, well, you've uh, only heard a small portion of the story so far. <laughs> You mean to tell me we're going to have a part two to this podcast? Listen, if you need a part two, there's another baby involved. <laughs> oh, we, we're going to save that for part two for sure. There's another sure. baby involved. Did you hear that? So we definitely going to have a part two um, about this story. Um, definitely some amazing things going on. But um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because we like to have fun on this podcast as well. Um, and my partner is... Isn't here. Um, he's his name is Mr. Petty. He's nicknamed Mr. Petty because he believes he is petty, and he's on his mission to find out if other people will embrace their pettiness. So I have to ask you because he's not here. Do you think you are petty at all in any in situation in your life? I'm very petty, but oh, I think I can definitely be petty. Yeah. <laughs> How so? A small example. How so? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's see. Oh, um, now you're going to call me out. Uh, yeah, she's, petty. <laughs> <laughs> she's thinking into her deep pettiness right now. She's like, I can't use that example. That's too petty. So. <laughs> I know. My goodness, I can't say that because uh, I might offend people. No. So my son, my um, 20-year-old son has a race car. Mm. And he built this car from scrap metal. And it's a Mustang, mm-hmm. and currently I'm living in an apartment, and his race car is out front. Now, he races it at the racetrack, mm-hmm. um, and it's a, an 11-second car, mm. and if he does work on the car, he'll start it up to check his work. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you're working on the car, you kind of have to start it up every now and then. Right. So, there was a neighbor who I caught actually opened the door and was in the door. Like, and I yelled at them. I'm like, excuse me, get out of my son's car. Wait, he, the neighbor's the in, inside the car? Was your was your son he, down there? He, My son was in the house, and he was walking, and I guess he just opened the door and stuck his head in to see what it was. And I was loading my kids in the car to go out, the little ones, and I yelled at them. I said, excuse, do you need something? That's my son's car. He said, oh, no, no, my dog's going to the bathroom. I said, really, your dog's going to the bathroom with your head inside my son's car? <laughs> I said, I don't think so. I said, get out of the car. 
Appreciate your pettiness. (laughs) I'm going to have to sit. Okay, I'll tell my son not to start the car unless he called the officer. Yeah, right. And he probably started the car like early in the morning and woke woke everybody up too. That was very. It was like eh, about 11 o'clock in the afternoon, but everybody's home because nobody's working now. True, true, true. That is too funny. He had his head in the car and he was like, my dog is pooping. I thought he was going to say the dog is pooping in the car, but. Now he opened the car door and stuck his head in the car. And I'm like, what? And it's a, it's a legit race car. It's not like your normal interior of a car. Like, right. it was interesting and he was looking at it. Right. I'm like, what are you? Get your, get out of my kid's car. <laughs> That's pretty petty of you. I appreciate that. Oh, my dog's just pooping. I said, it's not pooping. Just walk in there. You're going to pay attention to it. That is too funny. Well, well, thank you for embracing your pettiness. I definitely appreciate it. Um. Just one last Anytime. one last word of advice for anyone that's interested in um, adopting or even foster care. What would you? Um, what advice would you give them? My advice would be to follow your heart. Um, my two adopted children are two of the five best things that have ever happened that have ever happened to me, and the difference in love that I have for them and my biological children is non-existent. There is no difference. Hmm. Um, my heart and my soul and everything that I am loves them the same as I do the children that I carry and give birth to. That is so awesome. And they are very rewarding, so follow your heart. That is awesome. Well, Laura, I definitely thank you for your time and your story. We're definitely going to link up again because I want to hear the other uh, story as well. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So anybody that's out there, um, again, lend your time, open up your heart, and, and, you know, be a blessing to someone else. Um, just some housekeeping things on our next episode. We will have um, a teacher who um, worked in the penitentiary and is also coming out with her book. Um, so we're trying to set up that um, podcast as well. Again, season four is about uh, just connecting with amazing people to have amazing stories. So a little bit different than what we have been doing in the past. Um, I know things are not exactly where we want to be right now um, in the world right now, but um, if I can shed some happiness and some positive stories, that's what we're going to do here with the Empowerment Perspective. A little bit unorthodox right now because, again, I don't have my partner. Shout out to uh, Mr. Kareem Petty Spence. Um, And then hopefully when things get back to normal, we'll get back on the road and um, hit up your educators. Um, We had a couple of conferences that were booked, but unfortunately things are what they are right now. But we're going to get things back to where they belong um, and we're going to bring you some inspiring stories and I'm going to get back on my grind and make sure that the empowerment perspective is doing what we have always been doing um, and again it's this giving you some words of empowerment and hopefully you can use it to better yourselves and, and better those people that are around you um, so um, you know stay safe be smart out there and listen if you got kids that are, are teenagers and, and in their 20s and acting a fool going on spring break tell them to bring their behinds home um it's not a time to be playing around you still are the parent make sure you are um controlling that situation as well um and you know hug your loved ones and and take care of each other um so until next time like we say all the time stay empowered <laughs>